I want you to get your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter four, Romans chapter four. And I want to take a moment and welcome our online audience. And so for those that may be watching online, if you're watching online, we say welcome. We're glad to have you with us as well. We have talked to some people in Katy, Texas and College Station, Texas, who are watching us. And so we say good morning to you. We're glad that you're watching us. And I'm glad you guys are here too as well. And so Romans chapter four, Romans chapter, what's going on in Romans chapter four? Funny you should ask that question. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, The book of Romans is probably one of uh, arguably the most significant writings of Paul. Paul was an apostle. Before being an apostle, Paul was a highly religious individual. In fact, his name was Saul. And he actually persecuted what we would know as Christians, people who believed in Jesus. He actually persecuted them. In fact, when this man named Stephen was stoned, Paul was the one holding everybody's cloaks so they could hit Stephen with rocks. So um, really, uh, had how many know you can be a really religious person? And that's not always good because religion people, religious people uh, can kill people and think it's good, right? (laughs) So anyways, but, but God knocks Paul, or at the time Saul, God knocks Saul off his horse. He's on his way to Damascus, and God knocks Saul off his horse and onto his onto his donkey, and we'll let you figure that one out. But anyways, and so he has this amazing experience with um, has this amazing experience with Jesus, and totally transforms his life. And he's blind, and then God sends someone to pray for him, and then he can see, and then he and eventually becomes an apostle. And and not only that. This man who used to persecute Christians, uh, who, who, who wanted them arrested and beat and all that, ends up writing 28% of the New Testament, which is 13 books out of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's incredible. So if you're sitting here thinking, can I, I don't know if God can use me. I've kind of messed up. I've, I, I've, I've not lived the best life. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul is like one of those testimonies to all of us that God can use us no matter the mistakes we've made, where we've come from, good or bad. He is a reminder that God can use us. Amen. And so Paul is now writing to the Romans. Well, what happened in Rome? Funny you should ask. Um, But what had happened was uh, the Roman church was comprised of Jewish believers. So we would call them Messianic Jews. In other words, they're Jews that believe Jesus was the Messiah. There are Orthodox Jews who do not believe Jesus was the Messiah. So there are Jews who believe in Jesus. And then there are non-Jewish people who we would call Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So the Roman church uh, consisted or, or was comprised of both Messianic Jews and Gentiles. But then this guy named Claudius comes to power and he forces all the Jews out of Rome and that lasts for about five years and then the Jews return back to Rome and they find out church has changed because the Gentiles were left in charge of church. And so the Jews still adhered to all the Jewish customs and now the Gentiles didn't know those customs, that wasn't them. And so now there's kind of this, there's this tension, if you will, in church. Surely there would never be 
tension in church. But anyways, there's tension in church because they're like, hey, these guys, they're not, they're not sticking to the Jewish diet. They're not keeping the Sabbath right. They're, they're, not, they're not talking about circumcision, right? And, and if you don't know what circumcision is, when you go to lunch, just Google it. Lots of information out there, right? So, so they don't, they don't, know what any of that, don't know what any of that stuff's about. They're not doing that. And so then Paul writes them a letter and it kind of starts off with this, hey, we got to all come together, right? Uh, we got we to be unified. Let's all play together in the sandbox, if you will. And, and so he, he writes them this letter to unify them, mostly because they were, they were kind of one of his, or, or he wanted them to help send him farther west to preach the gospel and establish more missionary works and those type of things. And so he's like, I got to get the church to, to play nice uh, together. Y'all don't know what that's like, but if you've ever been a pastor, sometimes you feel like I got to get the church to play nice together. Anyway, so I got to get them to play it. And, and so he says, guys, we got to be unified. So he starts and he kind of levels the playing field. And he starts in Romans chapter one. He says, all humanity is broken. Sin, no one escaped the fall. All, of, all humanity is broken. They're lost in sin. They're, they're trapped in selfishness. In fact, now they, they worship the creation and they don't even know the creator anymore. They don't worship the creator, but they worship the, the creation. And, and, and the Jews are like, that's right, Paul, get them, you know, those Gentiles. And then he gets to chapter two and he's like, no, no, no. Jews are just as broken as Gentiles. And he's like, guys, if you look at our history, we're just as wrecked by sin. We're just as selfish. We're just as given to idolatry. I mean, think about what we know about the Old Testament writings of the law and the prophets and how the children of Israel were like, we're with God. We think God's left us. We're serving God. We don't serve God anymore. I mean, if you think about the historical books of the Old Testament, um, you know, it's just like just the book of Judges. I mean, it's like we're in, we're out, we're in, we're out. Anyways, um, so he's like, no, 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 Jews are just as broken. Like he's leveled the playing field. Jews are just as broken. They're lost in sin, lost in their selfishness. And so then he kind of pulls it all together in, in Romans chapter three. And he says, we're all broken. All of us are broken. All of us are given to idolatry. We all have these hearts that, that go away from God. And then he kind of gets to about verse 20. He said, this is why God had to send Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, this Jewish Messiah who would actually pay not only for the sins of the Jews, but the sins of the whole world. He would actually pay for everybody so that we could all be made right with God. And Paul tells us that means justified. And so he said, so we can, we can all be made right with God. This Jewish Messiah came um, and, and, and he said, and here's, here's the reality, God's plan wasn't to have a group of people who held to certain traditions and customs. His plan was to have a family of people who believed and trusted in him. And he says, and, and this is from, from, all, from all the world, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And he said, this isn't in conflict with the Torah, meaning the law. This is what the law is telling us about. This is the purpose, what it's aimed at. And so then he gets to, to, to Romans chapter four, and, and he brings up this guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham was the father of this movement of faith, but, but he didn't keep to customs and traditions. He was justified because he had faith in God. And he said, and this is what God wants to do with everyone in the world. He wants to freely justify them if they'll believe in this Jewish Messiah. He's the salvation of the world. And so now that you're caught up, that's where we get to in Romans chapter four, verse nine. And so Paul continues in this 
blessing or this blessedness that, that is promised to Abraham. And he said, is this blessedness only for those who have been circumcised? Because remember, the Jews are like, these Gentiles are not being circumcised. They're not preaching circumcision. And they're saying people are saved and they haven't been circumcised. And this is a problem for us. And so Paul, remember, he's trying to bring everybody together. Like we want everybody in the sandbox playing nice. And he says, hey, is this blessedness only that, that this blessing that was on Abraham that, that's supposed to come to us by faith, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So this is the big question. And he says, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So verse 10 says, so under what circumstances was he made righteous or was it credited to him? Was it after he was circumcised or was it before? Was he made righteous before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised, right? And then he says, it was not after, but he actually was made righteous before he was circumcised. Verse 11, and he received circumcision as a sign of, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still yet uncircumcised. So then he is the father. Uh-oh, because this is good. Like, he's trying to bring them together. Remember unity. It's like we all have one father, Gentiles and, and Messianic Jews. We all have one father, right? And so it's like he is also the father um, of, the, of the circumcised, who not only, so he said, said, and then he also, let's see, make sure, and then he is the father of all who believe, but not, but have not been circumcised. So this is verse 11. So he's the father, even if they have been circumcised, if they have faith, in order that righteousness might be credited to them, same way it was to Abraham. Then verse 12. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow, watch this, in the footsteps of the faith of the father, of our father, Abraham, the same faith he had before he was circumcised. In other words, here's what he said, that, that if we want to see who's of faith, it's not the people that have or have not been circumcised. It's the people who are walking in the footsteps of faith of Abraham. It's the people who are following after him. Um, so what about Bob? In 1991, <laughs> in 1991, um, there was this movie that came out called What About Bob? And I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It had Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray. And Bill Murray was this, this like paranoid, paranoid schizophrenic um, named Bob Wiley. And he basically had driven his therapist crazy. So his therapist is leaving, like trying to get away. And, and he sends Bob Wiley to see Richard Dreyfuss, who is Dr. Leo Marvin. And so Bob goes to see Dr. Leo Marvin, who's about to leave for the summer to go to Lake Winnipesaukee. But he's not telling Bob that because he doesn't want Bob to follow him there, right? Have you guys seen this movie? Anyway, so, so Bob, like one of my favorite lines is when he first meets Dr. Marvin, this is Bill Murray and, 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 and Richard Dreyfuss. He first, first meets Dr. Leo Marvin, um, you know, he's asking Bob just a little bit. He's like, so are, are, you, are you married? And he said, well, I was. Well, well, what happened? Well, there are two types of people, those who love Neil Diamond and those who don't. And so he's like, you want me to believe that you're, you're paranoid schizophrenic, but your marriage somehow ended because of Neil Diamond, right? And, and he's just kind of, you know. And so anyway, so he gives him, Dr. Marvin had just written in the movie, Dr. Marvin had just written this book called Baby Steps. And the whole principle of the book was the change we want to see doesn't happen in an instant. It happens one baby step at a time. 
I'm thinking about Abraham, the father of faith, and the footsteps of faith, and I'm thinking baby steps. Because see, when we come to Jesus, and we believe in Jesus, and we are justified by faith, then, then we are completely made perfect, the Bible says. But, but we need to know where we're made perfect and where we're not. Because you're actually a triune being, you're a three-part being. And so you're made perfect in your spirit, but then you still have a soul and a body. And it's really, you know, the way that we're saved is immediately in our spirit, progressively in our soul, and ultimately in our body. It's the same way that when sin entered the world, it's, it's the, the reversal of that is how Adam died. Adam died immediately in his spirit, but his body was still alive. Then, he, uh, he, then death set into his soul, right? And then ultimately his body died. So Jesus is the blessed reversal of the curse of sin and death, right? He paid for it to redeem us from it. So how are we saved? Well, immediately in my spirit. But how many know you can like leave the altar of salvation and then encounter something where you realize, I'm not so sure my soul's all saved yet. I mean, you can leave church and someone cut you off. And all of a sudden, you're doing praise with less fingers. And it's like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not as saved as I thought I was saved, right? And somebody says something, and you're like, God, you turn your back, and I'm going to give them a little thunder and lightning here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, and you realize, I, you know, and so why? Because we're, immediate, we're made perfect with God in our spirit, and that's a work of grace that can't change. But there's a, we, we have to understand the immediate work of grace in our spirit and the progressive work of grace in our soul. And, and when we're talking about the change we want to see in our lives, we can be immediately made right with God in our spirit, but we still have this soul. And this soul has appetites and desires and ways of thinking and ways of doing it because our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. And so there's still decisions that I got to change the way I make those that are still thinking that's not quite right. And I still have emotions that, that sometimes take over, right? And so, so now, what, what is, I gotta walk in the footsteps of faith of my father, Father Abraham. You know, I grew up in the country. And, um, and so my dad had a garden. My grandpa had a big garden, Pop. And I remember being just a little guy, loved helping them with cows or hay or whatever we were doing. And I, I loved helping when it was garden time. Because I was, you know, a kid, you're outside, you're in the dirt. I mean, what else, you, you know, little boy, what else you need? Dirt. You can eat it. You can play with it. I mean, you can do a lot of things with dirt. And I remember they, they, I was too little to use, y'all know what a tiller is, this thing you crank, it's got these blades on it, and it, and it, and it um, beats up the ground or really tills it really where it loosens up the soil so you can plant and, and whatnot. And so that's how you get, you know. And I remember being a kid like, one day, one day I'm going to get to use the tiller. Right, and then when I found out, like that day came, and I got to use the tiller, I found out this is not all it's cracked up to be. Like, they made this look so much cooler, you know, because I'm like, this tiller's taking me all around. The... But, but I remember I would I would walk behind my dad and my grandpa when they would till up the 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 garden, and, and when you till it up, it makes the dirt you know loose and and fresh. And so they would leave these footprints of their boots behind the tiller, and then I would be walking right behind them, and I would put my feet in their footprints, right? And I would be walking in the same steps of my father. The Bible says, be imitators of God as dear children. 
And, and, and what I see when I see even Jesus' life and when I see Abraham's life, I see these footsteps. And, and what Paul's saying is, hey, this is not about circumcision or, non, or, or not being circumcised. This is about who's walking in the footsteps because the change you want to see is on the other side of the step you've yet to take. Are you with me? And so I think Abraham is a great person for us to look at. I mean, he is the father of our faith. But when you think about his, his life, we have these four B's that we talk about all the time, that, that God wants everyone to believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. And when you think about these four B's, this is actually how we do these things. Because it is great to talk about ethereal concepts, but, but we want to see life change. We want to see people change by the power and presence of God. And sometimes we keep waiting on God to change us and he keeps waiting on us to take the baby step. Like, like I remember, if you remember Bill Murray, if not, totally if it's on Netflix and, and if you're like, you, you can't talk about Bill Murray because there's something, I don't know what would be in the movie that's bad, but if you feel like, oh my God, I'm sinning, then don't send me an email because I already talked about it. All right, <laughs> just pray for me. But anyways, but, but you know, like he leaves the office, he's like, Dr. Marvin, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do, Right. Um, you're going to be gone. You know, I need a therapist. He's freaking out. And Dr. Mara's like, just when you leave here, take another baby step. And if you remember, he's like, baby steps out of the office, <laughs> right? Baby steps onto the elevator. <laughs> and he's like freaked out in the elevator. Baby steps off the elevator, you know, and, and, and he walks his way all the way home. Baby steps, baby, you know, baby steps, baby steps. And, and here's the thing. The change you want to see is on the other side of the step you need to take. And we're talking about Abraham. And Abraham was a guy that kept taking steps. In fact, Paul says he has these footsteps of faith. And when we look at Abraham and we think about our four Bs, believe, belong, become, and build, I thought about Abraham. Well, believe, that's when God called him out of Haran and he packed up and went to a land God hadn't shown him. He believed. And then God wanted him to set up a covenant ceremony. And that's where he really belonged to God. That's when he was in covenant with God, right? And then, and then, and then Abraham, then we get to a name change and, and what the, the first time we see circumcision in the scripture in Genesis chapter 17, then that's becoming, he took next steps, right? And, and then there's building. He became the father of a faith and followed God into the fulfillment of his purpose. And when we're talking about these four Bs, this is how we do them at Pathway. Worship experiences are all about belief. Like it's not just coming to faith, but continuing in faith. Because when, when I believe in Jesus, I get eternal life. But when I continue to believe in Jesus, I walk into abundant life. Because here's the truth. You, whatever you believed about Jesus the day you met Jesus, you believed something, but you didn't believe everything because you didn't know everything. And you still don't know everything about Jesus. And so this relationship with God is about knowing him more and more and more and how that strengthens our faith and causes us to faith. You may have come to him because you're like, well, I was depressed and I felt like Jesus could help. Or I was guilty and I didn't want to feel guilty anymore. Or, 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 or I, I needed to be forgiven or I needed God to do a miracle in my family and you believed it could help and you came to him and we celebrate whatever brings you to Jesus but that was believing something that's not believing everything and so the reason we gather for worship experiences is like to say I want to believe him more I want to know something else about him I, I want to see him more clearly I, I want to I want to hear his voice more clearly and so that's why we have weekend services because having believed in Jesus that's eternal life but continuing to believe in Jesus is how I get to abundant life. And then belong for us, that's life groups. You need a place to belong. Listen, this is how we work out freedom. You know what freedom really is? Freedom is when you can fully embrace who you're supposed to be. 
And before you say, oh, I've already done that, go look at your Facebook. Because there's probably some things you omitted from Facebook because you're like, I don't want people to see me like that. I want them to see me like this. Right? It's like I got told, you know, sometimes, like, I don't know, I'm weird. And I like embarrassing my children because it's part of my calling. And um, I think as parents, well, really what it is, it's not that I want to embarrass them. I want to teach them to dance like nobody's watching. I want to teach them to be them no matter where they're at or what's going on. And so we've been known to be in a restaurant or something waiting, and, and I hear a beat dropping over the intercom. And, and I got a few moves. They're, they're all unorthodox, and you, there's no name for them. I kind of make up my own. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are people who dance, and then there are me. But I, I'll be, you know, like, mm, you know, and, and I'll be, you know, I'll make up, I love making up songs and like, and I suffer from chronic lyricosis, which is, I can't really remember the lyrics. So I just make up my own lyrics. Like, has anybody else had that disease? You know, and so, so I suffer from it, but I just, I just own that thing. Like, this is just me. And, and my, my, my kids are like, oh, dad, stop. Oh, dad, stop. Oh, dad, stop. And, but I always tell them, you know what freedom is? When you can be seen for who you are and just embrace it fully and not be worried about what someone else thinks about it. And, and that's why you do, that's why we do life groups, you know, because you need a place where you can go take off the mask because when you can experience grace and acceptance from people who really know the good and the bad, that's where you find freedom. And that's why we do life groups. Cause I know y'all don't know this, but a lot of times people wear church face when they come to church. I know y'all don't, but I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we put on our church face, like I'm church, praise the Lord, blessed and highly favored, too blessed to be stressed. You know, I cussed my kid out this morning, but ooh, I'm blessed today. You know, it's, it's okay. Both are okay. You can actually integrate. This is what the church has done poorly. We've taught people to, to live two lives. And when you don't have an integrated self, you experience God's grace in the front stage life and you experience Satan's condemnation in the backstage life. This right here will set you free. And when you can be in a group of people, that you can say, man, I got mad and I said some things I shouldn't and I did this and I was mean to my wife or whatever the case may be. And they're like, hey, we still love you. We still accept you. You're still God's son. You're still... And all of a sudden you have an integrated self where God's grace covers your whole life. You take a lot of ammunition away from the enemy. And so that's why we do life groups. So you can go to your tribe, your family, and you pull off the mask. Uh, and then we have, well, that's a good preacher. And then we have... Then we have for us become, that's the third B, become, and that's next steps. Why? Because I become who God wants me to be one step at a time, baby steps, right, right? Baby steps on a serve team, right, <laughs> right? Baby steps to a life group, right? Are you with me? I just keep baby stepping to outreach, right? I just keep becoming who, baby step to freedom, right? baby step to financial success. I just keep becoming who God wants me to be. But the change I want to see is on the other side of the step I haven't taken yet. And so I just have to keep taking my baby steps. And then we get to this build. And for us, that serve team. This is how you do this. Same, same, same things Abraham had in his life. You got to find why God put you here. You have to find why God put you here. And the way we do that, serve team. And I know what people are thinking, oh, I'm so tired and I have so much going on. If you, my life is such a mess, I have so many problems. Well, here's, here's an idea. Stop living for your problems and start living for God's purpose. 
Because the, the happiest people in this world are not the people with the fewest problems. They're the, few, they're the people with the greatest sense of God's purpose for them. Because you're never gonna find fulfillment in your problems, but you can find fulfillment in God's purpose. Are you with me? So that's why we say everybody ought to be on a serve team. You ought to just try baby steps to the serve team, right? And so, so Abraham's a great person for, for us to look at. And so when I was looking at these footsteps of faith, these footsteps of faith, um, I, I saw three things. And so you can write these down. We'll cover these pretty quickly. Number one, your steps can't save you. In Romans chapter four, this is kind of what Paul is making it very plain because he's talking to some Messianic Jews who believed in these traditions and customs. And it's not that they're bad, but what he's saying is, hey, circumcision doesn't change you. And by the way, uh, for, for the New Testament church, circumcision now is, is not, a, not a procedure um, you know, on, on the body, it's a circumcision of the heart. It's internal and it's through water baptism. So that's why it's baptism weekend. And we're talking about circumcision because New Testament circumcision is water baptism. Paul says it's the circumcision of the heart. God marks your heart, right? And so, and, but here's what he's saying. Your steps can't save you. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're a life group leader or not. That's not what saves you. It doesn't matter if you have church attendance or not. That's, that's not what saves you. In fact, Romans 4 verse 10, he's making this point. He's like, was Abraham in faith before he was circumcised or after? And he says, he was saved, if you will. He came to faith and it was counted him as righteousness before he was circumcised. So the circumcision wasn't what saved him. It was his faith in Jesus that saved him. It's a great reminder to us that we need to understand that Abraham wasn't saved by behavior. He was saved by what he Believe, you know, I had a pastor friend ask me because, you know, when pastors, we get around, we have weird conversations. We do have weird conversations, things y'all don't talk about, I don't think. But, but he's like, hey, what's the hardest part? Because every pastor that's planted a church everywhere you are, it's always like, oh, this is the hardest place to plant a church. That's one of our things we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But, um, but, but we're talking, he's like, hey, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Because he's not from East Texas and, and we're from the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? And like, and we're in Texas, so the belt buckle's like this big, right? And so um, he said, what's the biggest challenge uh, in, in, like in, in your region? I said, I think for me, it's convincing people that they're not saved because grandma was. That you're not born into Christianity. You have to be born again into Christianity, and just because Granny took you to Easter or just because you go to Easter, in fact, you can go to church every weekend. That doesn't make you saved any more than sitting in Starbucks makes you a barista, any more sitting in a garage makes you a car, any more than sitting at McDonald's makes you a hamburger, any more than going to Whole Foods makes you bougie. None of that actually works. And so you can sit in church all you want to. That's not what makes you saved. And I said, sometimes people think because they have an association with church. Well, I understand a lot about church. I know that there's a big man upstairs and, and I go to church and, and, and we sing some songs and that guy talks and, and, you know, I try to make it whenever I can. And, and we have an association and, and we actually get the association confused with relationship because the relationship with Jesus is where I forsake everything and follow him. And it's his values and his purpose and his plan and, and what he wants to do in my life. And so I said, that's the biggest challenge. And that's what Paul's actually reminding us here though. But on the other side, he's like, hey, it's not about what you do. Kind of like, hey, it doesn't matter if you go to church or not. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized or not. It doesn't matter if you prayed or not. It matters 
Have you come to this place of surrender and complete faith and trust that it's actually Jesus that saves you and not you? That you can't be saved by good things, but that you have a relationship. Because the truth of the matter is, you can't be bad enough that you can't be saved, but you can be good enough that you can't be saved. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as long as you think you're going to be saved because you went to church or because you went to Easter, because you start leading a life, as long as you think you're going to be saved because you're doing some good stuff, you can't be saved at all. It's only when we realize, remember, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3, all humanity is broken. No one escaped the fall. I'm screwed up and without hope apart from Jesus. And so it takes me to have faith in God and faith in Jesus. And I'm not saved by what I do or what I don't do, the offering that I give or what I do. I am saved only by the blood of Jesus and my faith and confidence in him. That's what he says. Romans 4 verse 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Is because he believed God. You're not, listen, salvation isn't about something you achieve. It's about who you believe. In whom have you believed? Do I believe in God? Do I believe in Jesus? Have I placed my trust in them? Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. And salvation is a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us, there's no bragging about this. It's not about us. It's all about him. Now, here's the great thing about grace that makes all the, all the pharisaical demons a little bit upsetting. But if, if I can't be saved by my behavior, I can't be sentenced by my behavior. Like if this side's true, that side's true. Makes church people nervous. How do you control people without the law? Well, according to Paul... The Holy Spirit inside of you is a greater governor than a law outside of you. And so you don't need to control people because what you, what you say, this is the great thing about grace because what grace says is Jesus paid. Jesus is the mediator. The covenant is between God and Jesus. Jesus did my part. I get in on his part. I have his place right? But because it's based on Jesus and not me, it's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His blood's always going to be good. He's always going to be in righteousness. He's always going to be seated at the right hand of Father. And so here's the great thing. On my worst day, get this, I have the same relationship with God as I do on my, on, on my best day. Why? Because the covenant's maintained by Jesus and not my behavior. Now, hold up. Now, let's take a step back because you're sitting here thinking, oh, I like this because now I can just do whatever I want to do in God's grace. Then let me help you with that. I, to me, that's like apostasy because you're perverting God's grace to live apart from him instead of using God's grace to pursue him. And to me, that's, I, I would say, are you even saved? So, so here's what Paul said very clearly, though. Very clearly, let's never forget. This is where you have to start very clearly. Paul's saying, hey, guess what? It's not what you do. It's who you believe in that saves you. Right? So, so number two, number two, number one is uh, your steps can't save you. Number two is being saved is the first step, not the last. The point he's making is that Abraham was, was, came to faith, was made righteous, and then was baptized. He took a next step. In other words, there were steps, there, there was stuff, there were steps to take after he was saved. See, I think sometimes, and I worry about this because I think in our, in our zeal to get people into a relationship with Jesus, Sometimes in the church, we've made it sound like that's all there is. Like once your card's stamped, once your ticket's punched, you're just waiting on the chariot of fire to come pick you up. There's really nothing else for you to do. You're a believer now. And we're just waiting on God now. But that's not at all what the Bible says. 
The Bible teaches is that, no, no, we've become ambassadors of the kingdom. We're supposed to be out expanding this kingdom and that there are all these steps we're supposed to take subsequent salvation, including water baptism, which is the first step you take after you've been saved. And so, so salvation then isn't the last step. It's actually the first step. Because if, think about this, a lot of people, we, we, we lack in our relationship many times to walking with God, which, which I think is a good term. But walking with God means you take steps. If you haven't taken any steps in a while, you're not walking with God. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not saying he's mad or, or that he's even left you. He will never leave or forsake you, but he might be ready to get the move on. You might be sitting on the park bench and he's kind of standing there saying, come on, there's some more to do. Like we can take another step. Like, come on with me. You know, like, here we go. And we're going, you know I mean? He's like, like, like one of those, one of those things. Here's what um, Paul tells the church of Philippi or the Philippians. Um, in Philippians 2 verse 12, he says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. That's good. And now that I'm away, it's even more important that you follow my instructions, he's saying. And then look, look what he says. Work hard. Now look at this. Work hard to show the results of your... Wait a second. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Yes, I'm glad you asked. Let's clarify. You aren't saved by works, but you are saved for works. That's what Ephesians 2, if you continue, like, no bragging, it's a gift, so no one can boast this grace of God. If you, if you get to verse 10, it says, because he saved you, you're his masterpiece, and he actually has work for you to do, and he had the work before he had you, and he created you for the purpose, for the, for the work. With God, he had purpose, and then he made people. You got to understand, God doesn't think, make people in there. I don't know what they're going to do. What do you think? Like, have a staff meeting, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we got somebody else is born. What are we going to do with these things? No, he was like, I have purpose, and then I, then I have people. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us you're a masterpiece. God designed you for a purpose. And so Paul's telling the church of Philippi, he's like, look, look, you, you're saved. Um, you aren't saved by what you do. But, but now that you're saved, there are some things to do. That's, that's what he's saying. And, and, and so he goes on to say, so work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what, please, isn't that awesome? Like God gives you the power to do what he wants you to do. And the great thing about God is he will never ask you to do something he doesn't empower you to do. So anything he asks you, you're like, oh, it's too big for me. That's okay. God's, God's, God's putting the tiger in your tank. You're going to be all right. But here's what he said. You got you to work this. You got to work this out. I, I think sometimes people get saved and they get discouraged or even feel disenfranchised by the church because they're like, well, I got saved and I said the prayer, but this isn't working out like they said. Like, you know, they said I was going to have peace and they said I was going to have joy and they said my relationships were going to be better. And what we forget is that God does his part and then we, we walk it out. It, it doesn't, listen, don't pray for a godly mate if you're still swiping right on Tinder. That, that doesn't work that way, right? Don't, 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 don't sit there and say, God, I want to be sexually pure if you're going to hang out in the club and dance with strangers, right? Don't, don't say, God, I want you to move in my family if when the family gets together for lunch, you're on your smartphone the whole time. 
Don't, don't say, God, I need you to increase me financially if you're not going to be a good steward of the opportunity that he's given you. I'm not trying to be condemning, but I'm just saying, here's what Paul's saying. You got to work it out. And I'm saying you got to walk it out. Baby steps. Baby steps. Got to walk it out. Like, 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 don't sit here and say, well, God's supposed to bless me financially when the Bible says if you want the windows of heaven to open up, you have to give the tithe. So it doesn't make any sense to be mad at God. God, you're not moving. You're not giving me money. And God's sitting here like, well, you got to do what I ask you to do. You got to take baby steps to the offering bucket. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta, oh. God, I want to be accepted and I want to have friends and I feel all alone. You got to take baby steps to life group. Well, God, I just don't have peace. Well, get off of Facebook and quit watching everybody else's life and comparing it to yours. That's a trap of the enemy. Because let's be honest about social media, what, what typically we put on there. I'm not against it. I'm not hating on it, but I'm just saying no one sits there and says, well, I got in a fight with my wife this morning and you'll never believe what I called her. You don't put that on Facebook. That's not an Instagram. Like your, your wife's mad at you. You're like, put that on my Insta story. No, what do we do? We're like, oh man, look at this amazing meal. Man. Look at this great trip I'm taking. Wow, my son has you know, just been declared you know, a genius by whoever. You know, I, I, it's, you know we, we put that on there. And when we start comparing our ups and downs, to everyone else's ups, the enemy comes in and says, man, your life stinks. And all of a sudden we're losing our joy. We're losing our, well, God's not blessing you. Look how God's blessing them. And sometimes you just got to be wise enough to say, hey, maybe I'll take, take a break from this right now. Why? Because I got to walk it out. I got to take some baby steps. The change I want to see is on the other side of the step I haven't taken. So here's the third thing. So your steps can't save you and salvation is the first step. Being saved is the first step, not the last. Here's the third thing. Every step you take strengthens your... Every time I read that, I think about the police. I did not think about every breath you take, every move you make. Anyways. Yeah. He'll be watching you. Anyways, I'm, I'm sorry. I did not think about that when I wrote it, but every time it flashes up there, I'm like, oh my God, it's the police. Every step you take strengthens your faith. Think about that. Every step you take strengthens your faith. Why do I take a next step? Strengthens my faith. Let me show you this. Verse 12, Romans 4, verse 12. It says, it says, he is then also the father of the circumcised who are not only are circumcised, but, but this is really who he's the father of. Whoever follows in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Think about that. Abraham was following God. Like he was leaving Haran, going for this land that he, that he couldn't see. All that was before. He, he had a covenant ceremony with God. All of that was before. And so what he's saying is, hey, hey, he was taking these steps. And we look at Abraham, we're like, man, this guy had incredible faith. Like, how do you have faith like that? Here, here's how. You take steps. Like, we don't think about this a lot of times, but the steps you take determines the faith you have. And I think sometimes, can, can I just be honest? Sometimes we wait until life throws us a mountain and we're trying to use our faith to climb a mountain when we haven't used it to walk over a molehill. Because life's going to happen. Like, I wish it wouldn't. It rains on the just and the unjust. Life's going to happen. And sometimes if we're not walking with God, all of a sudden it's after the divorce decree or after the doctor's report or after the pink slip and all of a sudden we're like, I got, I got to find some faith. Well, let me tell you how to make sure you're ready. Take baby steps now. 
walk in faith now because the steps I take today are actually working to strengthen and to build my faith. Listen, it's it's the steps that we take today that that actually keep our faith fresh and alive. Like if your faith today, if you're like, my faith feels kind of stale, I'm not doing a lot with it. Let me help you take a next step. Because you know why? It takes faith to take a next step and the next step you take actually strengthens your faith. Right? It takes faith to take a next step and the next step actually strengthens your faith. Look at this. This to me is, is crazy. Romans 4, it's a few verses down, verse 19. And it's going to talk about Abraham and it's going to talk about the fact that his faith didn't grow weak. And I want you to think about this for a minute because this man had to believe. Like I think the reason he's the father of faith sometimes is because he believed for 25 years for one promise. 25, like it, like if God speaks to us in this service and it hadn't happened by four o'clock this afternoon, we're like, oh, he doesn't even love us. He left us. He didn't even mean it. You know, I mean, that's our human nature. But this man, this man believed for one promise for 25 years. How did he do that? Well, I think he tells us right here. Paul tells us Romans 4, 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age. So God promises him a son at 75 and tells him to leave and to go to this land that he's never seen. 25 years later, still no baby, right? Still no promise. But it says this, even when he was 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. In other words, it doesn't work anymore, right? And then he goes on to say, he goes on to talk about even Sarah's womb, right? Figured his body's good today, and so was Sarah's womb. In other words, like there's no there's no fertility specialist, there's no there's no special pills or anything like 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 it's still over. Like Abraham's like by all physical means it is over. But look what it says, verse twenty. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, watch this. His faith grew stronger, stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God and he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Now, how in the world does, does, does a man who's believing for something, he's believing for something, it's not happening for 25 years and somehow that makes his faith stronger. Let me, tell, let me help you. Baby steps towards Canaan. Baby steps towards the mountain, right? Baby steps towards the covenant ceremony. Baby steps towards my name being changed. Baby steps towards circumcision, right? Even after Isaac, baby steps up the mountain again to sacrifice my only son, the promise, and put him on the altar. How do you grow in a place and keep your faith strong no matter what's going on? You just keep taking steps with God because the steps you take today give you the, gives you the faith you need for tomorrow. Are you with me? And if you're not taking steps today, you may not have faith for tomorrow. And so you just keep taking those baby steps day after day so that you have faith when, when, when you need it. Now, I'm going to have them, I'm going to have them put, up, um, put up the next steps that we talk about here. These are all on our website. But here's what I want you to understand. We call them next steps, but really they're baby steps. In other words, these are all things that, that, that most people should have already done if you've been following Jesus for a little while. And if not, don't look at them like, well, someday look at them like, God, what's the step I need to be taking right now? Because if my faith needs to be freshened up, I need to take, feeling a little stale, I need to take, I need to take a step. I need, I need to exude, exhibit. I need to step out in faith, right? If my faith feels a little weak today, probably time to take a step. So look at these, follow Jesus. That's, that's coming to faith in Jesus, right? If you're here today and, and I've been praying for you, if you're here today and you don't have an active relationship, 
relationship with Jesus, a life-giving, life-transforming, life-changing relationship with Jesus, today could be your day, right? You, you can step into that one. Uh, and then there's be baptized, right? That's what we're celebrating today. 14 people in, in the 930 have already taken that step of water baptism. And you can take that step today if you want. And even if you're not prepared and you're like, I, I'm not prepared. I, I, don't have, I, don't have, I don't have stuff. Don't worry about it because we have stuff for you. We have towels, we have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have everything you need so that you can take that. Well, well my family's not here. Hey, we'll record it on your phone. We'll give you a picture, right? We're t- we're f- we have a professional out there taking photos. We, we take the photo before you get in the water so you like the picture. You understand what I'm saying to I me? Mean, right, right. I mean, like, you know, well, well, you know, we'll help you is what I'm saying. We're trying to help you. You can take that, take that step today and then read your Bible. Like this should be something that's ongoing that we get in God's word and, and we take in God's word because the Bible kind of describes itself as like air and, and breath. And I mean, all these great terms, water, right? I mean, all these food. I mean, these are terms, these are things that are necessity. In other words, so the Bible's a necessity. And so you can get on Version app, get a Bible plan. We have some suggestions on our website. Uh, bring someone, like just bring someone to church or energize your faith, especially at the end. If they make a commitment for Christ, you get to celebrate with them and then you have someone to disciple. It's awesome. That's another step you can take, right? And then become an owner. Here we don't have members, we have owners. Members have rights, owners have responsibility. We want people to partner with us in the kingdom. And so we have, we have um, owners that, that have become a part of our church. October 27th is what we call first step, which is time to get with, together with our staff and we walk you through everything you need to know about us and we find out some things about you. But most importantly, we, we, we help you find out how God made you, what you're gifted in, what your personality's like, and we get you connected to the church. October 27th, you can do that 9 a.m., right? And so you become an owner and then start serving. Baby steps to the serve team, right? Let's, let's try to figure out what our purpose is. Start giving. That's, that's another one. Win financially for us. That's a, that's a, a Dave Ramsey, our financial peace life group, right? And go to that. Live free. Become conference is a freedom conference that's coming in, in February. And so you can be a part of that. Become a leader. We think, hey, we think that everybody's called to lead. And leading's really influence. And so if you have a wife or if you have a kid or if you have someone that, that will take your advice half the time, you're a leader, because leadership is about influence. And so here's the thing. We, we will help you lead. All of our serve teams have leaders, not just people who serve, but we actually have leadership teams. And all of that, we need life group leaders. Like we still, we have, we have some life groups that are way too big. They're like little churches. They can't even find a place to meet because of too many people in the life group. And we specifically need life groups for young adults and young families with children. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, Pastor, I just don't feel led. We have some pencils out here. We want you to go feel the tip of it. You'll feel led. Start a life group, right? <laughs> and then reach out. We want everybody doing an outreach. And you can partner. There's a lot of ministries we partner with. House of Disciples, Graciously Broken, um, Jesus Burger. I mean, there's just so many different things that we, we partner with. And we have people in our church that serve in those. And we want you we can get you connected in that as well, right? And so these are, look, these are all baby steps. And you're like, well, well why, why, these don't really have anything to do with me. I know these are general baby steps, but here's the idea. These are the training wheels. These are the things that prepare you for the big step of starting your own ministry, for the big step of really getting involved in a parachurch ministry, for the big step of, of starting a Bible study or, or starting, you know, whatever's next for you. These, these are the steps that, that get you to the place where you can really step into God's personalized, individual calling and purpose for you. 
but you're not going to step into that till you do these. I don't know if this may shock you, but the day after I got saved and baptized, I didn't become a pastor. I know, it's crazy. It's like a 25-year journey for me, right? Number one, what's a five-year-old got to say about the Bible? It's good. <laughs> Jesus, right? You didn't want to hear me preach, right? I, I mean, I started, people say, where are you starting ministry? I started, uh, my older brother and I, I, was, I, I wasn't even in, I don't think I was a teenager yet. My older brother and I would actually write puppet skits for the smaller kids. And I started by writing puppet skits and then on Sunday morning doing the puppet skit for the little kids. That's how I started. I remember one time I got a job, as a part-time job as a youth pastor. You know what that entailed? Cleaning the toilets, changing the oil in the church van. Oh, glamorous, man. <laughs> Running the church van before and after every service. That's always fun. Getting the bubble gum out of the church van after the... <laughs> Praise the Lord. You ain't live. You know what I'm saying? There's times that there's a couple kids and families that irritate me. I wanted to armor all the seats so they slide around, run into each other. And... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying it, it, was, it was just step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. But what prepared me to step into this, and, and even now I'm doing some things, there's something new I'm doing that, that God opened up for me that I'm, that I'm involved in. And I'm like, you know, this isn't the thing, but it's going to lead to the thing. I think sometimes we look wrong because we look at stuff like those next steps and we think, well, that's not the thing. It may not be the thing, but it's the thing that leads to the thing. Right? It's the thing that leads to the thing. Right? Going to Canaan was not Sarah getting pregnant, but it was the thing that led to the thing. Are, are you with me? And so, so today we have this opportunity to take this next step of baptism. And we have people that are already signed up and, and they're ready to take that next step. But we may have some people in this room that need to take that next step and you're not signed up. And here's what I want to say. Don't, don't, don't push back about that. Just step in. And if that's where God's leading you today, we're prepared. We have everything you need. We want to celebrate. Listen, we as a church are saying we never want to get over being saved. That's why we put bleachers up, right? We have a baptism party, right? I mean, we may be out there on the bleachers going, God will, God will rock you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we... I'm. <laughs> Because we don't want to get, when you get over being saved, you get involved in stupid stuff in the church. Like you start arguing about colors of carpet and what song and how loud and all this, what the pastor's wearing. You start doing stupid stuff when, when you get over being saved. We don't want to get over being saved, so we want to celebrate today. And so I was thinking about water baptism. Now in our text, back to our text, Romans 4, it talks about circumcision, which New Testament church is water baptism. Circumcision of the heart, Paul tells, uh, told the Colossians. And I saw something in a way that I never saw. Verse 11, it says, And Abraham received circumcision, now watch this, as a sign, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith even before he was circumcised. In other words, he had faith, and then he stepped his baby step, next step, circumcision. And it says a sign, and then it says a seal. And, and I looked at, at the language, and I looked at some commentaries, and I looked at different Bibles, and I actually think you could, there, there's, a, there's enough differentiation between the two that it's a sign and a seal, not just a sign that's a seal. Either way, it's twofold. Does that make sense? And, and so I thought the sign and, and the seal. The sign and the seal. So when I thought about the sign, you know, when you're studying the Bible, you got to look at a lot of different stuff. And, but one of the best things to do is since circumcision first shows up in the scripture in Genesis 17, there's this kind of pastor study the Bible rule that is called the, the law of first mention. 
that, that when I'm really trying to study the word of God, I should go to the first time it shows up in scripture because that's gonna give a context for it. And the Bible always interprets the Bible if, if you can find the context, right? Yeah. And so don't get it out of context. Get in the context and it will always make sense of itself. It's an incredible book. And so, so I go back to Romans 17 and I talked about this. And I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a sign. It was a mark. In other words, God comes to Abraham. Listen, here's what happens in, in Genesis 17. He comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I want to renew my covenant with you. So I'm going to change your name. And I'm going to put in your name. You're going to become, he was Abram and he became Abraham, right? And the ha literally was like, in a, in a way, what that means is actually the breath or the spirit of God, right? So, so it's almost like a type of our salvation where the Holy Spirit makes his home inside of us, right? And so, so it's a foreshadowing of that, but God's basically saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my breath, my DNA, my identity in who you are. Yeah. And, and it's in that context that he says, if you wanna step into this, you have to be circumcised. And the circumcision, he goes on to say that, that if you're not, all those males who are not circumcised will not receive the blessing. And, and so it was this sign, God said, that if you're circumcised, I know you're my family and I'll pour my blessing. So the sign was to say, this is whose I am. I'm his. And so I have this mark, just the way Jesus carries marks of the covenant. I carry a mark to say, hey, I'm in on this. You see what I'm saying? And that mark is in my heart now because we don't want to exclude females, right? I know men, we got to get comfortable with the idea that we're the bride of Christ and, and women, you got to get comfortable with the idea that you're the sons of God, right? So it's kind of, kind of crazy, but that's what we all have to get used to, right? So, so you're sons of God. And so now all sons of God, including the female sons of God, can be circumcised it's, it's a cutting away of the flesh of the heart that makes us sensitive to God. And I've talked about that. And so we're marked and we're marked for the promise and we're marked for the blessing. We're marked because we are his. And that mark says, I belong to him. I belong to him. I, I am his and I am marked for his blessing. And he said, if I wasn't marked, I wouldn't have the blessing. So that's a sign. But then it says, but then there's a seal. And the seal is this. Now, this is crazy because I looked at this and sometimes you're just like, Wow. I didn't see that coming because the seal is about who you are. It's whose you are, but it's also who you are. Interesting, with circumcision in Genesis 17, it was this tandem concept of circumcision name change. It was, God said, I'm going to change your name, but you're going to be circumcised if you want to be in on the covenant. In other words, there was this circumcision that spoke to a new identity. There was a circumcision that spoke to being a son of God. And, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, the Bible would confirm this if this were true. And so I started looking through the Bible and there's a lot that would confirm it. But let me just give you one that, that immediately I was like, Phew. the first time God booms from heaven thunderously saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased is immediately after he's baptized. It tells me whose I am, but God said, you need to know who this is. You see what I'm saying? There's a sign that says whose I am, but as soon as Jesus comes out of the water, God's like, you need to know who this is. This is the son of God right here. And when he's talking about a sign and a seal, 
He's saying, hey, you have a sign. That's whose you are. You're in the family and you're blessed with Abraham. But that seal says who you are, that I've given you my breath, that I've changed your name, that I've given you a new identity. Do you know the Bible says you have a name that's known really only to God. In fact, he's already inscribed it on a stone for you because he knows who you are, not just whose you are. And so when we go into the baptism, Galatians says, I'm crucified with Christ. What? I no longer live. But now Christ lives in me and now I have this new life. And here's what he's saying. When you go into the water, you are marked by God of whose you are. But when you come out, you are marked because of who you now are. And you get to leave the old person in. And you're not known by what they did or what they said or where they came from or what you believed about them. Now you have a new identity that's in Christ and Christ alone. And now the life you live is by the faith in the Son of God. It's because that's who you are, not just whose you are. And so that's what, we're, that's what we're doing today. Man, that's good. That's good. I mean, think about it. Jesus comes out of the water, Holy Spirit comes down, God, this is my son. That's what I've been praying all weekend. Like, God, when people come out of the water, let them hear, this is my son. When people come out of the water, let them hear, this is my daughter. This is who they are. They're marked by me and they're sealed for me. And so today, that's the step we're taking. And I, I just want to encourage you as, as we stand, and you can go ahead and stand with me, but I, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, not only is water baptism my next step, but I want to, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, what is my next step? 